It really is. You know, um, I've often said that I'm a pretty simple person, and I mean that in the sense that, and I shared this with a guy just the other day. I said, you know, you, I just don't really need to understand everything. And I look around, like I told you about that sunrise I saw the other day. Over here as the sun was rising, over here the moon was setting. And I said, God, you're magnificent. And no matter where you look, I just looked at, at baby Billman back there and that sweet, precious face. And everywhere you look, there is a God. How much proof do you need? Now, the psalmist had that thought in mind in Psalm 19. And the whole psalm, the first part of the psalm talks about nature, and the second part of the psalm talks about uh, God and His Word. You know, I want to go back to um, Elizabeth Barrett Browning from about three weeks ago. It's really a great, a great quote um, that we've used now. This will be the third time. It goes, Earth, Earth is crammed with heaven. Earth is crammed with heaven. And every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. And the problem so often, first off, let's pick on the world first. The problem so often with the world, or, you know, with the lost culture is, is that they don't, they don't see the handiwork of God in any way. I'm always amazed, by the way. I just watched a show this week about how they once again talked about, I was on the Weather Channel, how they once again talked about how that the earth is in what they call the Goldilocks zone. It's just far enough and close enough to the sun, not to burn up, but to be perfect and able to sustain life. And they say how fortunate we are that we just happen, we just happen to be in the Goldilocks zone. And they went on to say how that... Um, how that there is carbon dioxide stored in fossil fuels and how that the earth monitors its own temperature by at certain times um, plates will shift, therefore freeing carbon dioxide. Then carbon dioxide ekes out of places like Yellowstone National Park and then it stops there, stops it at the appropriate time and how it warms itself and cools itself all by accident, all by accident. And they really wrestle to see the handiwork of God. Well, in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4 to start, the Bible says there, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. And again, from my simple perspective, and there's nothing wrong with analyzing and all that stuff, but from my simple perspective, hey, you won't prove there's a God Look around. Look around. There are just so many things. A gentleman I shared with about two weeks ago, I said, don't you think it's amazing that we who came from a protein glob, and they're still not sure where the protein came from, but from a protein glob, how that we evolved and evolved and evolved and evolved and evolved, and now we've created things like cars where you can walk out tonight and put your ignition in the key and the ignition and turn the key and the engine cranks and you can drive that car home. And all that came not from a wonderfully created man, but something who evolved. There's just not that much power in evolution, folks. I'm telling you, it takes a lot more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. And the one reason I'm a Christian today is I don't have that much faith. I can't believe that it all just came about, that it all just happened. And, and the heavens and the stars all declare the righteousness of God. Let me just go back, because we don't do this very often. Let me just read to you uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 to 19. And God said, 
Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. Let me just pause there. I think it's amazing. You know, we, if you've ever been to a dark place before, again, once again, it's one of the things I watched this last week. I like, to, I like to watch a lot of documentaries about nature. And they're talking about out in Utah and some of the national parks that are out there, national monuments. They have light shows in the sense that it's, it's one of the darkest places on earth. The darkest place on earth. And they go out there, and those of us who have been to Africa, we've seen this. Out there in dark Africa, you're on the edge of the desert, there's no lights around. You just can't imagine how magnificent the stars are. You, you go out in Harrisburg at night and look up and go, oh, the stars are beautiful. No, friend, you've never been in a really dark place before. And when you go into a really dark place, the stars are magnificent. They're like diamonds. The Milky Way is like one solid sheet of light across the sky. It's just incredible. It's incredible. And all of that. Now, you again, how God did it, I don't know. But I like, I like thinking about it this way. You know, God made the, made the moon. He made the star or made the sun. And then it's like he reached into his bag and just took his hand and slung a bunch of stars out in space. We think they're a great deal. But notice what God's word says. God made the two great lights, the, less, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. Isn't it wonderful to have a God that's so big, it was no big deal. It was no big deal to God that, that he was just able to reach and sling the stars and then they are there. And yet that's how great our God is. Amen? I mean, don't lose this, guys. That's the problem. We have stopped being wowed by God. We just stop being wowed by God. We think the ordinary is ordinary. And I'm telling you what, there is nothing ordinary about our God. So, so the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. He goes on and says this, Day unto day, or words day after day, um, utter speech, and night unto night, or night after night, He reveals knowledge. Now, it's amazing. You know, the, the psalmist is saying, and by the way, David, David is the author, and he's just saying day after day and night after night, day after day and night after night, continually this testimony of the greatness of God is told over and over and over and over and over again. It's just incredible. In fact, he says this in verse 3, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. The, the power of the testimony of nature is everywhere. Everywhere, everywhere the greatness of our God is declared. Yeah, that's a good place for an amen, Jackie. Everywhere the greatness of our God is declared. In verse 4, the first part, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And like our song said tonight, there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. How much proof do you need? Now, now this is so important, and you probably need to write this scripture down um, because it, well, it's just one answer to a question. 
And it's Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 29. I shared this with you probably several, several months ago, but let me give it to you again because it's a really important scripture on, on a couple levels. And, and Romans chapter 1, verse 18, let me read it to you. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So God's wrath then is revealed from heaven against all that is ungodly. Since what can be known about God, since what can be known about God is evident among them. Is evident among them. Because God has shown it to them. This is for all you people who say, what about the poor people in Africa? What about the ones who never heard the gospel? The evidence of God, the, the heavens declare, and the evidence of God is all around them because God has revealed himself to them. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, Paul says, people are without excuse. People are without excuse. The heavens declare the majesty of God. How much, hey Christians, how much more proof do you need? Do you need? I want to challenge you to do something. Get simple. Get simple. Look for God in your everyday walk. Look for God in your everyday life. Look for God in every sunrise. Look for God in every sunset. Look for God in every baby's face, every senior adult face as he prepares or she prepares to go into eternity. There is a God. How much more proof do we need? Then he goes on and says this. In them, in the ferment, in the stars... He has set a tabernacle for the sun. So the stars are merely, merely a backdrop for the center of our universe. Now, really, in, in the scope of stars, the earth is a minor one. It's a minor one. It's not, we think it's huge and big and bright, but in the expanse of the stars that goes on for billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of miles, the sun is a minor star, but it's the center and life-giving source, physically life-giving source of our universe. So in them, he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is, I like this, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. And of course, you know the imagery, don't you? The imagery is, you know, like a bridegroom, they've waited a year in Jewish culture, you know, you would get engaged, it's like being married, but you couldn't consummate the marriage, so you lived in separate homes. And after the year, you know, the bridegroom was ready to go get his bride. Katie, bar the door, calls, here I come. And the psalmist is saying, the sun's like that, just waiting to burst forth every Sunday morning, uh, Sunday morning or every morning in a beautiful beautiful sunrise and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. You know, I hate to run. I, I, I'm in this walking thing, but I hate to run. I mean, you know, back when I was in high school, they did that physical fitness test and you had to run two and a half miles. And let me just tell you all something. You think it's hot in, South, in Southern Illinois. It's hotter in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay? And we had to run that two and a half miles and Man, Jim was like at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And we have, oh yeah, I hated it. I'm just telling you, I hated it. I hated it. And I used to have dreams. I don't dream anymore like this. By you, and seriously, I'm not, being, I'm not trying to fish up an illustration. I used to dream that I could run and I loved it. 
And I would always be in the front, and I was just pumping my arms. That's back when I had hair. I, I was just always, you know, taller, thinner, and had hair in my dream. Running and enjoying it. The sun's like this. As it runs its course, it rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising is from the one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. It's rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. Now, do you not think something that's amazing? Let me see if I can bless you. Isn't it amazing how accurate the universe is? Now, you understand that for decades and 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 decades, they've known that tomorrow's going to happen. Now, barring the end of the world, they knew that at 121 in southern Illinois that the moon's shadow was going to cross over from the west coast to the east coast and swing through Carbondale, Illinois. They knew why. You know why? Because the moon and the sun are so incredibly accurate. And you tell me it's by accident? You tell me it's by accident? Watch this. Did you know that 100 years, somebody say 100 years, 100 years from today, okay, the sun is going to rise at 6.12 in the morning. And the sun is going to set at 7.46 in the evening, assuming the end of the world doesn't come. But if life continues... 100 years from today, the sun will rise at 612 in the morning and it will set at 746 in the evening. Do you want to know why they can predict that? Because there is a God. How much proof do you need? He has set a timetable so that's so accurate and so predictable. And that didn't happen by accident. That happened by the majesty of God. And it says that there is nothing hidden from its heat, from the sun's heat. Now, after describing how wonderful nature is, the heavens declare the majesty of God, how awesome he is. Then David shifts to the word. He goes from God being the creator to God being personable and a person. And he's revealing himself as he does through his word, through his word. He says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is flawless. would be a very good translation. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is flawless. It's converting the soul. It's bringing, the literal translation is, it's bringing the soul back to God. You know, the pathway, of course, is through the blood and by the cross, but the revelation of who Jesus is and that pathway is through what? The Word of God. The Word of God. So the law of the Lord is perfect, converting, bringing back the soul. And the testimony of the Lord is sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Listen, in a day of... A, the same God who made it predictable a hundred years from tonight to predict that the sun would rise at 612 and set at 746. That same uh, accurate God is accurate also in his direction and wisdom for our lives. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord 
with all of your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Just like He has the path planned for the sun and for the moon. And until He calls game over, that path is set. And guess what? Until He calls game over in your life, that path is set. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. Don't lean into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Giving us instruction. James, you know, James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. If you lack wisdom, let him ask God. If you're, if you're lacking how to do life, ask God. Ask God. And He will give you wisdom, and He gives it liberally. He gives it Liberally, He goes on and says this, The statues of the Lord are right. Isn't that good? See, in the world of politics, it's whatever they want you to believe. But the statues of the Lord are right. Have been and will be. As predictable as the sunrise is and the sunset is, so the Word of God is right. And it re- listen, listen, listen. It rejoices It rejoices the heart. Let me say it again. The statues of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart, making the heart glad. Does the Word of God make your heart glad? Have you moved past that that rule of of no, 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 and realize for every no there's a reason, and for every yes there's a reason? Have you you moved past the point that the the Word of God is burdensome and understand it's not? That the Word of God is freeing? Have you moved past the point where you feel like you're a slave in bondage and you realize you've been set free and that God's pathway to that freedom and, and God's understanding of that freedom is through His Word? Have you, have you reached that point yet? You know, Psalmist says we should. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Now, I don't quote too many dead guys. I mean, there's, it's a, kind of a movement, you know. Well, you know, so-and-so said 100 years ago, well, I don't quote too many dead people, but I found this one from Martin Luther that was really pretty good. Martin Luther tells us that when the words, the just shall live by faith, first dawned upon his darkened soul, it was like entering unto paradise. The words are his. Here's what he said. Before those words, that the just shall live by faith, before those words broke into, upon my mind, I hated God. And was angry with him because, not content with frightening us sinners by the law and by the miseries of life, he still further increased our torture by the gospel. But when, by the Spirit of God, I understood those words, the just shall live by faith, then I felt born again like a new man. I entered in by the open doors unto the very paradise of God. In very truth, this text was to me the true gate of paradise. When he discovered that the just shall live by faith, he rejoiced. And brothers and sisters, this is the book of rejoicing. This is the book of rejoicing. And we need to rejoice in the fact that God has given us his precious word and celebrate that fact. He goes on and says in verse number 9, the psalmist does, The fear of the Lord, um, the reverence of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord 
are pure and righteous altogether. And that means, of course, completely. Now, verse 10, if you don't have it highlighted, I want you to get your pen out and I want you to highlight it. I want you to write down the reference, Psalm 19.10, because this is the game changer. Hopefully, I made halfway clear this morning the importance of perspective. The importance of perspective. Um, that, that the moon, again, the moon seems larger or the same size as the sun because of perspective. It's so much closer to us. Even though the sun is 400 times bigger than the moon, they look the same size because of our perspective of the moon. This verse will help our perspective. This verse is a game changer. This verse is a perspective changer. I would like for you to grab hold of this with all of your heart. With all of your heart. And you've already read it by now because I'm talking and you probably went ahead and read it. More to be desired. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, much fine gold. The word of God is so precious that it's to be desired more than gold. The most precious commodity today, and guess what? The most precious commodity commodity back in the days of David was gold. And, and David says that the word of God is more precious than the most precious thing that earth has to offer. Has offer. Now, we need to believe that. We need to believe that. And we need to live like we believe that. Now watch this. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now, understand that back in these days, get ready, I'm going to rock your world. Are you ready? There was no refined sugar. I know. It's hard to imagine. There was no high fructose syrup. All there was was honey. The sweetest thing known to man besides their sweethearts, was honey. And the psalmist says, just like the most precious thing the world has to offer is gold, that the word of God is more precious, it's sweeter than the sweetest thing known to man. It's sweeter than honey. Now listen, when we start living from that perspective, when our perspective changes... That if I only had this, if I only had that, if God would do this, if God would do that, if we would just trust and understand that His Word is more precious than the finest gold and is sweeter than the sweetest thing known to man, it would change our lives. It would change our lives. He goes on in verse 11. He says, not only that, he's saying not only that, by them your servant is warned, is warned. I wish I'd listened more to my wife, at least in this case, but she told me a story of a doctor, I think, I'm fishing here, G, a doctor who said if he could wish one gift, it would be pain. And you kind of go, what? Well, you know, can you imagine a world without pain? We say, oh, yes! I mean, if you've got arthritis or you've got bunions on your toes, you're going to go, yay, no pain. But pain is a gift. Can you imagine putting your hand down on a hot burner and going, and not realizing that your hand was on a hard burner, hot burner until your hand was burned up? I had a friend called Lloyd Brazel, and you didn't remember this story. Lloyd had advanced 
nerve damage in his feet, myopathy. Doctor? Close? Good enough. All right? And he said, Dwayne, that's what Lloyd said, I can set a piano on my foot and not know that it was there until I went to walk away and couldn't move. He had lost the ability to sense pain in his feet. And, of course, that would be so damaging for us. The Word of God may seem painful sometimes, but thank God for that pain. Because that pain warns us, warns us, and helps us have, are you ready? Less regrets, less consequences. Life is better with less regrets and less consequences. And so he's, David says, you know, by this your servant is warned. You know, someone said, and they didn't have a, a tribute to any author, this book, talking about the Bible, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the book. If we will heed the warning of the book, this book will keep us from sin, but you need to be aware that sin will keep you from the book. I tell you what, I need to tell you, I need to tell you, I need to tell you that when your reading habits change and you no longer find yourself reading the Word of God, man, let a red flag go up because something is pushing you away when your attendance habits change at church, when all of a sudden you don't want to go to church, that's a red flag. There's a reason why that's happening. It's a warning sign. And when we all of a sudden find ourselves pushing back from what we used to do, I went through a period of this. I, I think I shared with you sometime last year, I went through like four months where it was very difficult for me to pray. Ritually, I knew that I should and I did. But somewhere the passion or the, the, the conversation with God, just it was just something I did every day because I knew preachers were supposed to do that. And it's very difficult and very hard. When you see something changing in your life like that, that's God warning you. Moreover, your sermon is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. He warns you. But when we keep the word, there's great reward in that. I, I, I wrote down John 10.10. 10. You know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but, but I have come that you may have abundant life and life more have life and have it more abundantly. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the life of obedience has its rewards. I, again, you don't need to be obedient to appease God, but when we walk in the center of His will, there are rewards. There are rewards. Less regrets, you know, and smaller consequences. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then the psalmist goes on and says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins, from in-your-face sins. You know, first he says the secret faults, are faults that we stumble into is really what he's saying. But then he says there's these presumptuous sin. I know it's wrong, and I'm doing it anyway. That's in-your-face sin. And you know, it's funny, there was really no sacrifice for that. God would forgive it. Psalm 51 talks about David. You know, there was really no excuse for Psalm, for, for David and Bathsheba. But God did forgive his sin. But there was really not a, there was not a ceremonial cleaning for that presumptuous sin. There was no practice, ceremonial practice for presumptuous sin. So he says, you know, keep back your servant from being presumptuous, from being arrogant and prideful in his sins. Let them not have dominion over me 
Hey, that's one prayer that was answered. Amen? When you remember the verse this morning from Romans chapter 5, verse 21? So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, David, that prayer got answered. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. So that brings us finally in this time to verse 14. Now, remember, let, let me read to you from Luke 6.45 first, before I read this verse. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you word vomit, when stuff come out and you go, ooh, okay, that's coming out of your heart. Your mouth is a gauge of your heart. Your mouth indicates what's in your heart. Okay? Got that? Jesus said that. Okay. Now, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, those two, be acceptable in your sight. May my heart and what comes out of my mouth from my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The great benediction, the great amen. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So, so, tonight, tonight, there is a God. How much proof do you need? Learn to look for God in everyday events in your life because the heavens are declaring His majesty. And learn to count the Word of God as precious than the most precious thing the world has to offer and sweeter than the most sweetest thing that the world has has to offer. And can I just give you one more thought? It's arbitrary. Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, was the, I guess you call it the life verse, if not a favorite verse, of a lady in my church when I was 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. In the most formative years of my life as a teenager, a lady named Jane touched him. This was her verse. And here I am now, 63 years old, and I never read this verse without thinking of Jane Touchton, who worked with our quartet, who worked in our youth department, who was the church pianist, okay, played the piano. Mama back there played the church piano. All those things. And I never read this verse without thinking of her. And I'm grateful for a woman in my formative years who was a godly woman who spoke and has her conversation all the time about God's word and about this verse. She left a strong legacy in my life. What kind of legacy are we leaving? I had the strangest thing happen today. This just popped in my brain. Maybe that's why this happened. So I'm studying this morning about 
6 o'clock. I mean, we're talking early. And I heard the indicator on my um, phone, on my iPad, go bling. It's kind of weird sound. That's the best I could come up with. And then bling. I'm going, who in the world is messaging me this early in the morning? And I looked, and it was a lady named Judy Casper. And Judy was a member of the Cobden Church. Um, her husband was one of our deacons. And I would call them friends. I would call them a friend. And I, uh, the first one said, Judy Casper's waving at you. I think that's something to do. And the second thing said this, Dwayne, a brother Dwayne, I want you to know that I always really appreciated your messages. And if I ever did anything to offend you, I'm sorry. Isn't that strange? I haven't talked with Judy Casper in 10 years, 15 years. And I'm going. I walked down the stairs. I said, Judy, let me read this to you. Do you think this is a hack? And she said, no, go to her Facebook. If her Facebook page is active, it's not a hack. So I wrote her back and I said, hi, Judy. So good to hear from you. And you know, I want you to know something that, um, you know, some of my most precious memories of Cobden involve you and Doc. And um, I count you as a good friend. And, and certainly you've never offended me, you know. And she wrote back and said, thank you, dear brother. And I don't know what was going on in her life. I don't know. But, but she was A, one, she was thankful for my messages, which really assured me today as I stood in the pulpit. But secondly, she was concerned that somehow she had damaged her legacy with me. So much so, she was willing to write a guy she hadn't talked to in several years and say, hey, if I did, I want you to know I'm sorry. I know I prompted that. I really don't. But we should so want to guard our legacies that we're that careful. What is it you need to settle before you die? Is there anything? Is there anything going on that you need to settle before you die? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be accepted in my sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray. Well, God, thank you very much for this privilege of sharing again tonight from your word. And boy, you are magnificent. We're thankful for that. You really are, and we are so grateful for your magnificence. We um, pray, Father, that, that people will be caused to look around tomorrow and today and see the, uh, the beauty of nature, the magnificence of nature. And we understand that the Holy Spirit draws people to you and not preachers or anything like that. So, Holy Spirit, we're asking, we're inviting you to work in our community in our lives tomorrow and season every opportunity moment we have to be able to represent you, represent you well um, in everything that we do in the next couple of days and beyond that. We pray, Father, that we will always seek to do good for the kingdom and never harm. We pray for that. Thank you for your word. May it truly be more precious than gold and sweeter than honey in our lives. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.